It's Friday, November 15th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Months after being suddenly ousted from her job as the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich testified today as part of the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. And what she said really got under Trump's skin. Then an update on two unresolved stories, one in Kentucky, the other about Turkey. And finally, how Starbucks is escalating its coffee game. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about a woman named Marie Yovanovitch. She's the latest U.S. diplomat to testify in the public hearings for the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Today on Capitol Hill, she helped provide context on the sequence of events that led to the inquiry in the first place. So today, we're going to get into what you need to know about Marie Yovanovitch, why her backstory as the former ambassador to Ukraine is important to the inquiry, and how the president himself got involved in today's hearing. So who is Yovanovitch? She was born in Canada, but moved to the U.S. when she was three. In her late 20s, she became a diplomat, a career she said today hasn't been glamorous. She's had to move 13 times over her career, and several times to so-called hardship posts, a fancy way of saying really unsafe places like Somalia, which was the first place she was sent. In August 2016, she arrived in Ukraine as the new U.S. ambassador. Part of her job there, as she testified today, was fighting corruption. Corruption is also a security issue because corrupt officials are vulnerable to Moscow. In short, it is in America's national security interest to help Ukraine transform into a country where the rule of law governs and corruption is held in check. Yovanovitch also said today that her anti-corruption push in Ukraine made her a target of certain politicians and business people, which she said was not a surprise. What was a surprise to Yovanovitch was what happened in April of this year. In the middle of the night, she says she got a surprise call from a State Department official telling her she had to fly back to the U.S. right away, that her time as U.S. ambassador to Ukraine was over, quite a bit earlier than she expected. And that is the root of why she testified today, the circumstances under which she was arguably fired from her job. Yovanovitch said today, as she understood it, there were, quote, concerns up the street about her. Up the street, meaning the White House. Because as she told it, there had been a smear campaign underway at the White House to get rid of her as ambassador going back to the previous summer. One person Yovanovitch says was part of that campaign was Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. He's the guy who was also pushing Ukraine to investigate former VP Joe Biden. And according to Yovanovitch, some people with business ties in Ukraine and two of Ukraine's former prosecutors also didn't like what she was up to. It's not entirely clear why. But the rumors against her started. Rumors that she was dissing the president behind closed doors or telling one of the Ukrainian prosecutors that he couldn't investigate certain people. Yovanovitch denies those accusations. But those rumors, they turned into a media campaign against her in the U.S. In the weeks before her firing, articles started popping up saying people in the administration wanted her fired. Then Trump and his son Donald Trump Jr. shared those articles on Twitter. Yovanovitch said all of this marked a scary new precedent for her. What continues to amaze me is that they found Americans willing to partner with them and working together, they apparently succeeded in orchestrating the removal of a U.S. ambassador. How could our system fail like this? 
How is it that foreign corrupt interests could manipulate our government? Then this past September, she said she was devastated to read the now famous transcript of Trump's phone call with Ukraine's new president. The phone call in which Trump told his counterpart that Yovanovitch is, quote, going to go through some things. Yovanovitch said after reading that, She's going to go through some things. It didn't sound good. It sounded like a threat. To be clear, it's not like the president is likely to be impeached just because he fired Marie Yovanovitch. But her testimony today shed light on the origins of the shadow diplomacy that's at the heart of this inquiry, which is about whether Trump abused his power to influence foreign policy for his personal gain. And it turns out her allegations really got under Trump's skin. This morning, while Yovanovitch was testifying about Trump smearing her reputation, Trump went after her again on Twitter, saying things like, quote, everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. Shortly afterwards, the Democratic chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, asked Yovanovitch about Trump's real-time taunts. Now the president in real time is attacking you. What effect do you think that has on other witnesses' willingness to come forward and expose wrongdoing? Well, uh, it's very intimidating. Schiff doubled down on that sentiment. Some of us here take witness intimidation very, very seriously. Some Democrats are saying Trump's tweets today were real-time intimidation and could be part of articles of impeachment against Trump if it comes to that. So what's the skim? Republicans point out that the president has the right to appoint and dismiss ambassadors whenever he wants. Yovanovitch even said that herself. And she wasn't in her post at the time of the July phone call when Trump asked Ukraine's president to look into Biden. But for Democrats, she provided a firsthand account of the impact of these pressure tactics on Ukraine, which she said have hurt U.S. diplomacy and security. And the president's behavior during the testimony might become more grounds for impeachment. Meanwhile, the public hearings continue next week. But the closed-door depositions haven't stopped. Those are kind of the fact-finding parts of the inquiry. One person who testified behind closed doors today is David Holmes, who reportedly overheard a second phone call in which President Trump asked about, quote, the investigations. So lots more to get into. But you have the weekend to regroup. We want to give you a quick update on two stories we've talked about in the last few weeks. One about a recent unresolved election, and the other about an unresolved foreign policy move. First, an update on the recent governor's election in Kentucky. Remember, the current governor, Republican Matt Bevin, was running against Democratic Attorney General Andy Bashir. On election night last week, the race was super close, like less than half a percentage point close, and Bevin was on the losing side. But he wouldn't concede. Instead, he requested a re-canvas. That's basically a check of the vote counts from each voting machine to see if there were any errors. We explained it in our November 7th episode. According to Kentucky's Secretary of State, the re-canvas gave the same result. So yesterday, Bevin finally conceded the election. I truly wish the Attorney General well as the next governor of the state as he assumes these responsibilities. Kentucky is the state that gave us two prominent Republican senators, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. It's also a state that President Trump won by 30 points in 2016. And now 
it has a Democratic governor. The second story we're checking in on has to do with a recent vote in the House of Representatives. We talked about this in our October 29th episode. House lawmakers voted nearly unanimously to recognize the Armenian genocide, something at least 20 other countries have done. The Ottoman Empire, which is now modern-day Turkey, killed an estimated 1.5 million Armenians back during World War I. Turkey denies that it was a genocide. The House's vote was primarily symbolic, and it was unclear if the Senate would take up the issue too. But Turkey, which, remember, is a U.S.-NATO ally, wasn't okay with the House's vote. And Turkey's president made that clear in person at the White House on Wednesday, during a press conference with President Trump. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said through a translator that that House vote was bad news for foreign affairs. They have a potential of casting a deep shadow over our bilateral relations. He added that he didn't think the Senate would follow the House's lead. Turns out, he was right. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham was in that White House meeting with Erdogan. Graham was critical of Turkey after the country attacked the U.S.'s allies, the Kurds, last month. But after meeting with Erdogan this week, Graham went back to Capitol Hill the same day and blocked the Senate's Armenian genocide resolution. And in a speech on the Senate floor, he said senators shouldn't be rewriting history with the resolution. In the Senate, only one person needs to object for a resolution to be blocked. So that was easy. But this doesn't mean the Senate won't take it up again in the future. And Graham's move is getting pushed back on social media. So this probably won't be the last time you hear about this. In 2016, Glamour magazine held its yearly Women of the Year Awards. One recipient was a woman identified only as Emily Doe. Nearly two years before that, she had been sexually assaulted outside of a party at Stanford University. You may remember that story. Her attacker, Brock Turner, was sentenced to six months in jail, but he only ended up serving three months. And the powerful victim impact statement that Emily Doe read at his sentencing hearing went viral. Then, in September of this year, Doe revealed herself to the world. Her real name is Chanel Miller. She's the author of the new book, Know My Name. And earlier this week, she returned to the Glamour Women of the Year ceremony and took the stage to accept the honor she was given in 2016. Miller also came by Skim HQ this week and shared a message for other survivors of sexual assault. If you've been through this, it does not make you lesser. It does not make you deficient. And I know it can be really isolating, but know that you're extremely connected to me and anyone else who's been through this. For more of Miller's story, head over to theskim.com slash new for her full video. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the world's largest Starbucks. It opened today in Chicago and features, get this, a spiral escalator. Forget the five stories worth of caffeine. The escalator is what really got our attention. Turns out spiral escalators have been a thing since 1985. And there's only one company in the world that makes them, Mitsubishi Electric. Yes, Mitsubishi like the cars. The escalators don't go in a perfect 360-degree spiral. Instead, they are a series of curved escalators that still require you to get off at each floor. 
Still, they're a rare sighting. There are only a handful of these things in the world. The draw? As Mitsubishi says, spiral escalators deliver, quote, added value and artistic appeal. Translation, they look cool. And that's all for Skim This. Thank you so much for listening this week, and we'd love for you to rate and review us online. A lot of news happens over the weekend, so to catch up first thing on Monday, sign up for our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.